Part One, Chapter Eleven of the Uttermost Star. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. The Uttermost Star and Other Gleams of Fancy by frank w borum chapter eleven mary golding i cannot think of mary golding without feeling heartily ashamed of myself captain stewart and major mitchell when they were blazing our great australian trails crossed the districts that were afterwards riddled with diggings and never so much as noticed the gold strewn everywhere about them the wheels of their bullock drays crushed through the quartz yet the thought of the precious metal never once occurred to them we all go through life in pretty much the same way for some years i must have bustled past the buxom good-humoured figure of old mary golding twice every day without dreaming that i was so near to the fringe of a great romance it is part of the pathos of this pathetic old world that we are not introduced to many of the people best worth knowing until after they have dropped into their graves mary golding has just dropped into hers for sixty years she sold newspapers every day at the corner of northumberland avenue and whitehall indeed mary took over the pitch from her mother so that mother and daughter the pair of them had been selling papers on the selfsame spot for the biggest part of a century very few of those whose business now takes them to charing cross will be able to recall the elder lady but millions of us have brushed past mary golding without even noticing her in all weathers we are told mary golding was at her post last december as she was turning her face towards home after selling her last paper she was knocked violently down by a passing taxi but she limped back to her place next morning the severe winter has, however, proved too much for her, and the place that has known her for sixty years will know her no more. The London papers, with whose circulation the old lady was so closely identified, noticed her death and even expressed regret, but there is something about such a career that appeals to the imagination. As a mark of respect and in token of my sorrow at having passed her so often, without even raising my hat to her i propose to indulge in a little speculation like the cloud of sparrows that rises into the air as you approach a ripening cornfield a whole host of questions is started by the thought of mary golding and to think that i might have asked those questions and received from her own lips the answers but i will ask them still and the silence that follows shall be my just rebuke and fitting retribution for one would like to know more about the old news vendor and especially about the way in which she regarded her work there is room for a good deal of psychological conjecture did she look upon it as a mere matter of rote everlastingly dealing out papers in return for pennies and half-pennies it is conceivable that she may have felt herself to be almost as mechanical as the penny in the slot machines 
the boys flying hither and thither experienced the thrill of rivalry almost the excitement of the chase as they watch with eager eyes for possible customers and dart in and out amidst the traffic in their haste to effect a sale but mary golding had but to stand still and she may have felt that the perpetual handing out of papers in return for coppers converted her into the merest piece of mechanism to which humanity can be reduced as she stood there day after day she saw men and women come dancing past her with bright eyes and flushed faces she could see that their lives were all novelty and excitement but she saw also hundreds of creatures who came every day at exactly the same time who approached every day at exactly the same pace who wore every day exactly the same expression and who were going every day to exactly the same tasks there was a boy who was on his way to a factory to stick endless piles of labels on endless rows of pots there was a girl who was hurrying to a restaurant to stand all day behind a curtain washing up a pile of dirty dishes there on the poor girl's left stood the greasy plates and there on her right stood those that she had cleaned but the pile on her left never grew any smaller and the pile on her right never grew any taller because the hands of the waitresses like the phantom hands of fate darted in and out of the curtains everlastingly adding to the one pile and everlastingly subtracting from the other from morning till night she washed and washed and washed but the pile of dirty plates was like the widow's cruise it never wasted away then there was a woman with a haunted look in her eye who passed mary golding every morning at precisely eleven minutes past eight she was on her way to sew buttons of one unvarying kind on garments of one unvarying pattern and then there was clark i feel sure that clark passed mary golding on his way to the office in fleet street mark rutherford has made us all familiar with clark he was an address copier the monotony of that perpetual address copying was terrible he has told me with a kind of shame what an effect it had upon him and that sometimes for days he would feed upon the prospect of the most childish trifle because it would break in some slight degree the uniformity of his toil for example he would sometimes change from quill to steel pens and back again and he found himself actually looking forward with a kind of joy merely because of the variation to the day on which he had fixed to go back to the quill after using the steel these people mary saw go past her every day like creatures on a treadmill and as she thought of herself standing at the same spot doling out everlasting papers in return for everlasting pennies it may be that she felt that she was the most mechanical puppet of them all it may be but then again it is at least equally possible that she caught something of the romance of the thing there is a piquant pleasure that only the gossip knows the joy of having something to tell that everybody else is dying to hear is one of the wildest delights of which some natures are capable did mary golding feel as she handed out her papers that that rapture was her perpetual bliss she was only a child when in eighteen fifty seven she took her mother's place the year eighteen fifty seven was a very notable one 
it was the year of the indian mutiny london was hungry for the latest news the girl may be pardoned if she took a peculiar and personal pleasure in spreading the thrilling items as soon as they were available one of the first papers that she sold told of the relief of lucknow dance to the pibroch saved we are saved is it you is it you saved by the valor of havelock saved by the blessing of heaven hold it for fifteen days we have held it for eighty-seven and ever aloft on the palace roof the banner of england blew then again in eighteen fifty seven was david livingstone's great year in england did the romance of the african wilds enter into the soul of mary golding that year a girl would be unusually apathetic and stolid who found no delight in handing out papers that told such tidings to the eager and anxious men as they passed to and fro and if in those early days of her business she imbibed such a temper it is possible that all the drama of subsequent history wove itself into her spirit and she felt herself to be part and parcel of every stirring movement of which her papers told the more i think about it the more do i wish that i had noticed and spoken to her in my old london days through her soul the pageant of empires may have swept kings councils and continents may have been the commonplaces of her thought mary golding may have converted her newspaper pitch at the street corner into an observatory from which she every hour surveyed the universe and talking of that long stand of hers at the street corner it would be interesting to know whether in the course of those sixty years mary ever sighed for a change of scene did she not sometimes fancy that she would like to exchange pitches with some news vendor at kensington or regent street but here again there are two strangely divergent possibilities it is conceivable on the one hand that as the years went by she grew sick of the thought of northumberland house and only trudged back to the old spot in sunshine or in snow in summer and in winter under the remorseless pressure of a cruel necessity could anything be more wearisomely monotonous than to spend one's whole day from dawn to dark year in and year out without holiday or relief at the same spot for sixty long years and yet on the other hand it is at least equally possible that with the years she fell in love with the place and felt that she could not live without it we grow to things like the ivy to the wall richard jeffreys was once asked why he walked the same road every day the question startled him and he could not immediately answer it it had never occurred to him that he had adhered so closely to the same path not till years afterwards he says was i able to see why i went the same round and why i did not care for change i do not want change i want the same old and loved things i want the same wild flowers the same trees the same soft ash green i want the same turtle doves the same blackbirds the same colored yellow hammer singing so long as there is light enough to cast a shadow on the dial the same old song and i want them all in the same places let me see the idle shadows resting on the white dust let me hear the bumblebees and stay to look down on the dandelion disc 
let me see the chaffinch with a feather in her bill no change for me let me see the same things on the same road keeping the same succession year by year i recognize in quoting richard jeffreys that there is a vast difference between a sussex lane and a london street corner but it is just as possible to lose one's heart to a city pavement as to a country pasture we get fond of things not because of their intrinsic beauty but because of our very familiarity with them they become a part of us and we of them what about tim lincolnwater it's forty-four years said poor tim when it was proposed to give him some relief from his regular duties it's forty-four year next may since i first kept the books of charitable brothers i've opened the safe every morning all that time as the clock struck nine and gone over the house every night at half-past ten to see the doors fastened and the fires out i've never slept out of the back attic one single night there's the same mignonette box in the middle of the window and the same four flower-pots two on each side that i brought with me when i first came there ain't i've said it again and again and i'll maintain it there ain't such a square as this in the world not one for business or pleasure in summer time or winter i don't care which there's nothing like it there's not such a spring in england as the pump under the archway there's not such a view in england as the view out my window i've seen it every morning before i shaved and i ought to know something about it i have slept in that room for forty-four year and if it wasn't inconvenient and didn't interfere with business i should request leave to die there dickens knew when he drew tim lincolnwater that he was painting from life I like to fancy that Mary Golding entertained the same agreeable sentiments concerning the street corner at which so much of her life was passed. Moreover, Mary Golding had one immense advantage over Tim Lincolnwater, inasmuch as the personal element entered more largely into her life. A street corner is alive with personal interest. There are the people who come past every day, and who come past at exactly the same time. There are the people who come frequently, but whose coming is irregular and erratic. And there are the strangers. Mary Golding would probably only welcome the members of this latter class as imparting a tinge of variety and novelty to her ordinary outlook. Her delight would be in the regular comers. A man would pass her four times a day for twenty years without exchanging a word. Yet if, on any one occasion, he were ten minutes late, the circumstance would awaken her interest, and if he absented himself altogether, she would wait the next day with impatience and concern. She may have fancied, and with some justice, that this silent interest was reciprocal. In her time she regularly sold her papers to Lord Salisbury, to Lord Hartington, to Mr. John Burns, and to Mr. Gladstone. If ever a heavy cold or a twinge of rheumatism suggested the advisability of a day at home, it is quite on the cards that the good woman flattered herself that, were she to yield to such a temptation, Mr. Gladstone would be wondering what had become of her. Life has an amiable habit of flattering us in this particular, and of wedding us to our work. However modest our duties may be, 
we get into the way after a number of years of fancying that things could not go on without us mary golding may quite easily have schooled herself into believing that northumberland house would have to close its doors unless she stood just outside the gate with her papers no item of news upon her placards she would fancy could be quite so astounding and sensational as her own disappearance from the familiar spot it is by whispering such things into our ears that life binds us to our allotted tasks and renders attractive to us duties that to an outsider might seem repugnant and intolerable sour-visaged philosophers may tell us if they will that no man is indispensable but as a matter of actual fact we all meet life every morning with a smile and a song because in our hearts we believe that the world could not get on without us something whispers it to us and in spite of the philosophers we all believe it and because we all believe it the work of the world gets done end of part 1 chapter 11 recording by lawrence trask mount vernon ohio interfaceaudio.com